Good evening. The Trump family sued by the Attorney General of New York State. Putin says the West has crossed the line in Ukraine. Are nukes next? The Fed hikes rates. What's the fallout? And the GOP's migrant scam. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a partial military mobilization during an address to the nation on Wednesday morning. He says the West is forcing Russia's hand as he announced the call-up of 300,000 reserve forces. In their aggressive anti-Russian policies, the West has crossed the line. We keep hearing threats against our country, against our people. Certain irresponsible politicians from the West, they don't just say about their plans to supply long-range assault weapons to Ukraine systems that would allow them to strike Crimea and other regions of Russia. And they should deprive us of any kind of sovereignty. They should rob our country of everything. They have started nuclear blackmail. And ominously, adding two can play that game. I'm not only talking about the attacks against Zaporozhye nuclear power station that is promoted by the Western creators, but I'm talking about the statements about high-level representatives of the NATO countries about the possibility of using weapons of mass destruction against Russia, nuclear weapons. And those who make such statements against Russia, I would like to remind them that our country also possesses various type of strike weapons. And in some components, we have more modern weapons than NATO countries. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened to defend and protect our country and our people, we will use all the means that we have. And I'm not bluffing. And the Russian president doubled down in the same speech. He says the West must realize the nuclear wind blows in their direction too. The citizens of Russia can be confident that we will defend the territorial integrity and sovereignty of our country. And I would like to emphasize it with any means that we have in our possession. And those who are trying to blackmail us with nuclear weapons, I would like to remind them that the wind can blow towards them as well. In the destiny of our people, it is to stop those who want to dominate the world, who want to enslave our homeland, our fatherland. Putin said the armed forces will only call on military reservists with training and who have already completed their national service, the draft, promising the soldiers would get additional training. Putin has accused Kyiv of backing away from peace talks with Moscow, which he says it had done on the instructions of his Western backers. Russia has been fighting for control of the majority Russian-speaking Donbass region. Although suffering major setbacks from a Ukrainian offensive this month, Russia still holds much of the territory. But Putin said there is continued intense fighting along a 600-mile front. Putin's speech was met by anti-war protests throughout Russia. Over 1,000 were arrested at rallies in 38 cities, the majority detained in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Protesters in Moscow chanting, put Putin in the trenches. Meanwhile, in New York City, President Joe Biden addressed the United Nations General Assembly today, referring to Putin's call for a referendum on annexation of the eastern Ukrainian provinces. Biden said it's a sham. President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard 
for the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Now, Russia is calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight, and the Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <coughs> significant violation of the UN Charter. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened, but no one threatened Russia. In 2014, Russia's military seized Crimea, historically part of Russia, but then part of Ukraine. Shortly afterward, Crimean residents voted in a disputed referendum. 95% voted to join up with Russia. Among the speeches at the United Nations today, Lithuania's President Gianna Nozeda, he spoke about Russia's nuclear threat. The deployment of Russian military personnel and weaponry at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant is alarming and totally unacceptable. It disregards the safety and security principles that all members of the International Atomic Energy Agency have committed to respect. A nuclear power plant should never be used as a military base. Moreover, Russia's irresponsible rhetoric on the possible use of nuclear weapons directly contradicts its role as a P5 state and the commitment it has made in the January P5 leader's statement on preventing nuclear war and avoiding arms races. Lithuania, a small country between Russia and the Baltic Sea, had been one of the 15 republics of the Soviet Union. Lithuania now is a member of the NATO alliance. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, was founded in 1949 as an alliance to counter the Soviet Union. The original 12 members were among the victors of World War II. After the collapse of the USSR, NATO grew and now has 30 members. Article 5 of the NATO founding treaty requires each member of the alliance to come to the defense of any one member who is attacked. Today, the Secretary General of NATO, Jen Stoltenberg, reiterated NATO's multi-billion dollar support for Ukraine. The first step is the deployment of four new NATO battle groups in Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania and Slovakia, along with our existing forces in the Baltic countries and Poland. This means that we will have eight multinational NATO battle groups all along the eastern flank. From the Baltic to the Black Sea. We face a new reality for our security. So we must reset our deterrence and defense for the longer term. Tomorrow, NATO leaders will reaffirm our support to Ukraine. Ukraine has the right to self-defense under, uh, under the UN Charter. And we are helping Ukrainians to uphold this fundamental right. Jen Stoltenberg is Secretary General of NATO. Among today's speakers at the United Nations was Iran's President, Ibrahim Raisi. He told the General Assembly Iran is ready for a new nuclear deal with the United States. But he wondered if the U.S. was serious. In related news, Iranian authorities and a Kurdish rights group reported rising death tolls on Wednesday 
as anger at the death of a woman detained by the morality police fueled protests for a fifth day. The official death toll is at least eight. The demonstrations erupted over last week's jail death of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old from Iranian Kurdistan who was arrested in Tehran for unsuitable attire. The government responded to the protests with curbs on social media and violence in the streets. Videos shared on social media showed a man scaling the facade of a building and tearing down an image of Ayatollah Khomeini, who founded the Islamic Republic after the 1979 revolution. In more national news, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell vowed today he'll keep at the battle to beat down inflation. He made the vow as the Fed hiked interest rates by three-quarters of a percent for a third straight time, ensuring borrowing costs would keep rising this year. Today, the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by three-quarters of a percentage point, and we anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. We are moving our policy stance purposefully to a level that will be sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2%. Powell was blunt about the pain to come, citing rising joblessness and singling out the housing market, a persistent source of rising consumer inflation, as being likely in need of a correction. Dr. Jack Rasmus is the author of several books on the USA and global economy, including Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy. He says, with a six-month lag, the pain will hit by year's end. This is a rapid and significant uh, hike. This is the third uh, three-quarter point increase. And as you said, the the Fed has come out very hawkishly and it said that we're just going to keep raising until we see prices come down. And, of course, their price target is uh, 2%. Now, how do they get it down by raising interest rates? Well, the interest rates uh, slow down the economy, a good part of the economy. You know, people who need to buy uh, homes or uh, businesses need to roll over and refinance uh, cars, automobiles, anything that's bought on credit, right? And that's the whole idea of raising interest rates to cause unemployment. When people are unemployed, they don't have income to spend, right? They buy less. Demand for goods declines. And therefore, when businesses see the demand for their goods and services decline, what do you think they do? Well, they don't raise prices or they start lowering them. You know, you got to understand that inflation isn't caused simply because of demand. So if you cut demand by raising interest rates, you're not going to deal with all of inflation, especially this inflation that even the Fed admits is supply side driven. It's due to the uh, uh, COVID breaking, uh, breaking up the supply chains that still haven't been uh, totally uh, uh, healed. It's because of the sanctions on Russia, not just the war, but the sanctions which has raised the cost of energy and commodity prices and agriculture and fertilizer and so forth around the world. That's supply side. Fed can't do a thing about that, right? Mm. Nor does the Fed do anything about the fact that a third major cause of inflation is corporations, the big ones with monopoly power, simply raise their prices and price gouge the public because they can, because they can get away with it. And, you know, look at last month's inflation. Chicken, up almost 20%, the cost of chicken. Why is that? Well, you got about three big chicken producers in the country. Right? What about bread and bakery products? Oh, you got about four. Uh, so certain food items and non-food items where you have three, four, maybe 
fewer companies that control 80% or more of the market, they can raise prices. Government wants to, as you're saying, cause unemployment. Can they reverse it? Are they so sure and so powerful that at the twist of a knob and by reducing rates in the future sometime when the economy is stronger, they can get these people back to work? The thing you got to remember about interest rates and Fed monetary policy is that there's a lag of six to nine months before whatever the Fed does, whether it's raising rates or cutting rates, begins to have an effect on the economy. Six to nine months. Well, the Fed began raising rates in, uh, in March and April, right? Well, we're coming up on six months here, and we're going to start feeling in the fourth quarter the bite. We're going to have layoffs. At the beginning of next year, it's going to hit even harder. And then these quarter point raises that have been coming, well, they'll hit the economy uh, late next winter, early spring. And if they want to turn it around and start lowering rates, well, you know, that's going to be another six-month lag. It's not as if they can, uh, you know, you turn on uh, the radio show, you turn it off with a dial. That's not the way it works. But the important point people need to understand is that this inflation is due to supply-side, more supply-side problems than demand side. And if the Fed takes it out on demand and, you know, whacks the consumer, lays off consume consumption declines and prices weaken, you're still going to have inflation because two thirds of it is price gouging and supply side problems. And the Fed admits itself, it can do nothing about that. So we're going to see next year, I predict, yeah, you're going to have layoffs Prices are going to come down from the 9 10% they are now. But you know what? They're not going to come down to 2%. They're going to be 4 to 5% because of the supply problems still continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people are going to say, well, gee, we have all these layoffs and we hardly dented inflation. What the hell's going on here? What's wrong? Dr. Jack Rasmus is the author of several books on the global economy, including Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy. Stock markets responded with a sharp drop, and the dollar hit a 20-year high. That could lead to more problems. And the Washington Post reported today that operatives working for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis approached recent migrants living in a camp near San Antonio, Texas, with a scheme to fly them to Delaware, to an airport suspiciously close to the home of President Joe Biden. Unlike last week's flight of 48 migrants to Martha's Vineyard, this flight fell through. The Post says it was probably a bid to punk the media, but the only folks punked were the homeless Venezuela migrants. Today, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, though, told reporters he thought the sham flights were a good idea. There's been a good deal of talk about what some of the governors have done to transport uh, illegal immigrants up to other parts of the country. I personally thought it was a good idea, Uh, but if you added up all of the uh, illegals who've been taken to Chicago or Washington or Martha's Vineyard, it would be fewer than people down in Texas have to deal with on a daily basis. When the vice president says the border is secure, it's absurdly incorrect. And I think these are the kinds of things the American people would look to this administration for some solutions on. And so far, uh, they are lacking. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell 
D.C. Bureau Chief for the Nation, Chris Lehman, is author of DeSantis's Contempt for Immigrants Makes Him Politically Stupid. Lehman says the governor's stunt to send Venezuelan asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard was cruel, illegal, and may backfire. He spoke with the news today. It all sort of began with Abbott in Texas busing immigrants to D.C. under the same sort of loose regime of promising them jobs that had not been arranged in advance. The administration here has also not been great with handling unhoused populations. And <laughs> Bowser's initial response was to reach out for the National Guard, which is sort of a traditional D.C. thing in an emergency, except evidently during January 6th, <laughs> because the city is going back decades, has been starved of funding by Congress because Congress approves the D.C. budget. So they go a federal route under these conditions. It does seem like there's now an effort to put together a more less emergency driven and more coherent response to get these immigrants set up with basic services such as housing while they figure out where they're going to settle eventually. Stephen Miller in the Trump administration, who was the immigration advisor then, first floated this policy to send a bunch of undocumented immigrants to so-called sanctuary cities, essentially overstretch their resources and exact petty political revenge for them not going along with the draconian immigration policies under Trump. Under Biden, these policies are still draconian. There were two million more arrests at the border than there were last year because the Democrats are terrified in a midterm cycle of being branded as soft on immigration. So there is a sort of... As one person put it, the communist countries. I think Biden called it the communist countries. What's going on now? Why is it different now? Ron DeSantis wants to run for president in 2024. And at the same time, you know, he sponsors, one of my sources pointed this out, these victims of communism commemorations down in Florida every year. And at the same time, these Venezuelan refugees who he targeted in this stunt are asylum seekers from the Maduro government in Venezuela, which still sort of leans left. If these people were white and spoke English, Ron DeSantis would be like putting them on a stage in Florida to trumpet them as victims of communism. But because they're not, they just track as brown immigrant outsiders to the Trump base. He set up this cruel and pretty clearly illegal entrapment operation to Flew them onto private planes from San Antonio to go to Martha's Vineyard, which is, of course, a famous resort where Democratic donors congregate over the summer. And this was a uh, internet trolling as a gubernatorial policy in, under DeSantis's rule in Florida. Why the Florida governor has to go to the border state of Texas to find targets for this operation is... And there's an um, investigation now the San Antonio police yeah. are investigating. Yeah, and there's also been a class action suit filed on behalf of the immigrants entrapped in this fashion. Nation columnist Ellie Missile noted there's arguably a, a case for federal kidnapping charges. I also interviewed a great Boston area immigration lawyer, Matt Cameron, who's in communication with the other attorneys on the ground in Martha's Vineyard. And Matt said there's also a strong case for a trafficking charge. It's also the case that if a trafficking case is proved out here, the immigrants victimized by DeSantis would qualify instantly for visas. So like the whole 
point of the stunt may also blow up in DeSantis's face legally and politically that way if he's it's hard to present yourself as an immigration hardliner when you wind up smoothing the, the path to citizenship for these people. These folks are coming in or filling jobs that uh, there's a shortage of labor for, and they do very well and become great conservative Americans. <laughs> and now I know that was also Matt, point, Matt Cameron pointed that out to me, that Massachusetts right now is in a very tight labor market. And, and you know, basically employers there are just saying, send us more. <laughs> you know? It's appears to have been poorly thought out on DeSantis's part. And if there are legal proceedings, I think it's it's not really a good look, even given that Trump has inflamed this xenophobic base on the right. It looks and smells like vicious cruelty. I would hope even in today's America doesn't play that well. I've been watching the U.S. and the Holocaust on PBS the last couple of days. And- All right. And uh, I think a lot of people are, are watching it and should open their eyes because uh, sending people back to unfriendly yeah. countries, whether or not Venezuela is what they say it is or any of its nonsense, right, Cuba, right, Nicaragua, right. you could wind up sending them back to a place where thousands of people could get killed. It is really a bad luck for a country that historically has welcomed immigrants and has granted political asylum on the basis of its now very tenuous commitment to democracy. So we'll see how it plays out in terms of the Republican 2024 race, it is in every sense, I'm sure, going to be a race to the bottom. DeSantis has made that very clear already. And he also has said he's not going to stop. He's still got people on the ground in Texas. So, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Nation, Chris Lehman, is author of DeSantis's Contempt for Immigrants Makes Him Politically Stupid. According to The Intercept, DeSantis paid $650,000 to Vertol Systems Incorporated, an Oregon aviation company, to fly the migrants to Massachusetts. Vertol's president and CEO, James Montgomery, has contributed thousands to conservative Florida politicians, including Representative Matt Gates, who was implicated in the January 6th invasion of the Capitol. Closer to home. New York State Attorney General Letitia James filed a lawsuit today accusing former President Donald Trump, his family business, and three of his children of lying to lenders and insurers by fraudulently overvaluing his assets by billions of dollars. We are filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump for violating the law as part of his efforts to generate profits for himself, his family, and his company. The complaint demonstrates that Donald Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars to unjustly enrich himself and to cheat the system, thereby cheating all of us. He did this with the help of the other defendants, his children, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump and former Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg and Trump Organization controller Jeffrey McConney. Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization repeatedly and persistently manipulated the value of assets to induce banks to lend money to the Trump Organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company, to pay lower taxes, to satisfy continuing loan agreements and to induce insurance companies to provide insurance coverage for higher limits and at lower premiums. We show that they violated several state criminal laws, including 
falsifying business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, and engaging in a conspiracy to commit each of these state law violations. We believe the conduct alleged in this action also violates federal criminal law, including issuing false statements to financial institutions and bank fraud. And we are referring those criminal violations that we've uncovered to the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York and the Internal Revenue Service. As a result of these violations, we are asking the court to, among other things, permanently bar Mr. Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, from serving as an officer or director in any corporation or similar, similar entity registered and or licensed in New York. Tish James is seeking to bar the Trumps, including Donald Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, from ever running a business in the state again. Among the revelations in the 220-page lawsuit, a bank appraised 40 Wall Street at $200 million, but Trump valued it at twice the amount. The suit accuses Trump of 200 false and misleading asset valuations. And finally, New York City has officially joined the relief efforts in Puerto Rico days after Hurricane Fiona slammed into the U.S. territory. Mayor Eric Adams announced today the city deployed a team of three emergency management specialists to the ravaged island to help with getting power back to locals and assessing the extent of the damage. Adams says the aid is about sending a message of solidarity to the large population of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans who make New York City home. Uh, these communities and these communities are a significant part of the New York City population. And I want to be clear, New York stands with our brothers and sisters from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and all affected countries. And we're here to help. And that help is going to come from listening to them and making sure that we're guided by our elected officials and experts that are here. Yesterday, as the commissioner announced, we deployed a team to join the Puerto Rican Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, and other emergency responders to assess damages to infrastructure and essential services. They will be fanning out across the island into smaller localities in the next coming days, and, and I will make sure uh, that we give as much support that's needed. The city has no current plans to send aid dollars. The mayor says the teams on the island must first determine the needs of the locals before they deploy any further help. And that's the news for Wednesday, September 22nd, 2022. The news is produced, written, and anchored by myself, Paul DiRienzo. You can get the news at pauldurienzo.com or on soundcloud.com. You can become a member and help us with a sustaining donation at our Patreon page, thanks to several people who will remain nameless who have stepped forward to help in supporting the news. Again, thank you so much for your support. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>